Let me see if um, Ona and Cheryl can give us a quick uh, rundown on now who were those folks and and uh, good there we go. Uh, they were people from ELIC. Uh, they they are um, English language English as second language teachers, and I'll be going over and working with 65 teachers, helping them learn how to teach English to their students. And then in the afternoons, we'll have a chance to model lessons and assist the teachers with two groups of uh, between 350 and 400 secondary students. And what an amazing opportunity, Pastor Jeff. Isn't, uh, I just think serving is an adventure, and I hope that all of you uh, feel this in your heart, and I want to invite you to come along with me with your praise and worship and prayers, and pray for the people of Mongolia, because uh, it is a hungry nation. They don't have Jesus, and what more is there to say than that? So um, I pray for the people and for our team that we truly be the hands and feet of Jesus. Thank now you. Tell them what you do throughout the year. Uh, I'm an assistant principal at Arlington Heights High School. So she's used to a mission field. <laughs> Let me tell you. All right, we're going to be praying for you, Ona. And then Cheryl, tell us where you're going, Eastern Europe. I'm going to Eastern Europe uh, in a few weeks. And I will be ministering to a group of children, um, the majority of whom will be orphans. And I'll be doing something very similar to Anna. I will be teaching English as a second, as a second language. And what's really interesting is that I'm sure this is the same in the country that you're going to. And those countries in Eastern Europe and the Ukraine, uh, this is such an incredible opportunity for these people because without English, they have very little opportunity in their life, especially as orphans. So uh, that really is a secondary goal, of course. Our, our primary purpose is to share the love of Jesus and to see so many of them come to see the Lord. So uh, we're very excited about it. And I would like to ask, um, in addition to... Um, in addition to asking you to pray corporately, if any of you would uh, like to agree in prayer with me for the time that I'll be gone, I would like to set up and send you a detailed list of things that you can pray about every single day. And I'm trying to recruit as many people as possible who would say, you know what, I will be a prayer warrior with you. I will stand in agreement with you that souls will be saved and come to know Jesus. The group that I'm going with is called Women's Worldwide Witness, and they travel around uh, Europe and in part of Africa and the group there was a group that went uh, to the Ukraine in April and they took an actual singing group and people are very open to those that come and sing and they said that thousands of people gave their life to the Lord thousands, thousands. of people Amen. so the, the <clears throat> so the video is very true when they say that the fields are wide unto harvest and so we need people who will be prayer warriors and who will stand in agreement and stand and pray that many souls will come to be saved. So if you would if you would partner with me in prayer for this, if you would come see me after the service, I'd like to sign you up and I will send you the sheet of things specifically to pray about every single day. She will too. I will. <laughs> All right. I want us to stand if we could. And let's pray over these two ladies. They're, they're going to minister to the Lord Jesus. They're going out as a outreach of our church and uh, other organizations and we want to have a real covering over them real prayer covering so let's pray father we give Ona and cheryl to you and we pray in jesus name that you will bless their way lord in their flight there in all their traveling may the protection of the blood of jesus be over them keep them from the attacks of the enemy shelter them lord under the shadow of your wings and give them much, much fruit, more than they have imagined, that many, many, many will come to know Jesus. We trust you, Lord, to be with them, and they will come back with an incredible report of what God has done. And we pray for it in Jesus' name. Now lift your hand towards them and say with me, we bless you and send you in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. Bless you, Anna and Cheryl. <clears throat> All right. Ona's been to Haiti and to Kenya. She, she, so she, she gets around. This, this high school assistant principal. All right. I'm letting a finding the rock go out. I'm assuming this way, right? Who is teaching it? Raise your hand. Our teacher. 
Are you teaching it? <laughs> Did they cancel it tonight? Okay, we'll just, we'll just let it. How many of you are in that class? They must have canceled it. It's canceled. We should know that, but we did not. It's, it's the youth are gone. And I'll tell you who's gone with them. Sherry's gone with them. Last night, or Monday night, I was watching it on streaming video, and I saw a shining head. And I knew that it was Brendan. There it was. So he's there. A lot of our prayers are there and adults are there. So, well, good. Let's get right into healing. How many of you believe God heals? You believe that? Tonight we're going to look at the subject of suffering, which is a real topic when it comes to healing. And uh, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you right now that, Lord, you are here to teach us about healing. And I pray that you will illuminate us, that you will enlighten us. And Lord, let your truth sink deep. I thank you for increasing our faith. Thank you, Lord, for renewing our concept of God and of Jesus Christ and of the new covenant. And we pray that tonight we will receive with meekness that engrafted word which is able to save our soul. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and just say, Lord, speak to me tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him Jesus heals. Amen. All right, we're going to look uh, at the whole topic, and this is a tough one. A lot of people don't come to God for this very reason. They say, well, if there's a God who loves, why is there so much suffering in the world? Why so much unfairness in the world? Why doesn't God just wave a magic wand and fix everything? Well, he's going to in good time through Jesus Christ. And yet, uh, not the way that we often wish he would. So let's, let's begin looking at the fellowship of his suffering. And if you don't have a manual, raise your hand and they will get you one if you don't have one. There's one way back there who needs one and a lady right here. There's a few that need manuals. Uh, everybody, if y'all would... I need some ushers to help. David, see if you could help and keep your hand up and we'll try to get it to you. Now, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we do what? Say it with me, church. What does it say in this verse? Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering is at times framed in the New Testament as something believers should expect and embrace. How many of you have ever suffered because of your testimony for Jesus? You got persecuted, you got rejected, got your feelings hurt, kicked out of a group, fired from a job, or even worse, maybe persecuted uh, more viciously, maybe even struck. How many in here have suffered? because of your testimony. I have. And the first time that it happened to me in a really big way, it really threw me for a loop. It really shocked me. And I had to pray it through and come to understand that we are called to share in the sufferings of Christ as believers. Suffering is at times framed in the New Testament as something we should expect and embrace. Look, in Romans eight seventeen, we see that our inheritance in Christ and future glorification are contingent upon our willingness to embrace suffering. Here's a quote from Jesus. He told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. How many of you know that a cross doesn't feel good? Anybody ever had a, a really good feeling cross? I want to meet you. Because if you're dealing with a cross, you're dealing with pain. Crucifying your flesh, crucifying your selfish self. All right? So crosses hurt. Jesus said you're going to experience some pain through a cross. Now the Bible tells us that Paul went about, quote, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many, what everyone, tribulations, 
we must enter the kingdom of God. Everybody had, anybody ever had a good feeling tribulation? I haven't. I've never had a tribulation feel good. How many of you ever, ever wanted out of a tribulation? You wouldn't want out if it was feeling good. Now, Paul honestly told the Corinthian church, we are afflicted in every, this is his own testimony, we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. This is one of my favorite passages, by the way. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we haven't been forsaken by God. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He just laid out for us a biographical sketch of suffering. We suffer, we apostles. This is not a joy ride. We're not at Six Flags. This is not fun. This hurts, this walk with Jesus Christ. He said in Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now, really pay attention to these verses because they're telling us that as believers, we should expect suffering. I really do believe, as a matter of fact, the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, there's four things that happen to us, the seed of the word of God in people. Three are bad, one is good. Three end badly, one ends well. One of the reasons the seed ends badly, Jesus said when suffering and persecution arise because of the word in that person's life, they walk away having been offended. Somebody didn't tell them. You come to Christ, you're going to suffer for it. I have a concern that we're raising in the West and have raised up to this point for the last few decades a wimpy church that, that doesn't understand, that thinks it ought, ought to all be a joy ride. You know, name it and claim it and get what you want and it ought to all be God making you rich and God this and that. And then when suffering comes, it blows these people away. They have no anticipation that sometimes you're going to suffer. People are going to reject you, mock you, ridicule you, make fun of you. You may lose a position that you wanted because of your faith. You may have some really tough days because you took a stand for God. You ought to expect that. I, I wouldn't preach the gospel to any crowd and tell them, come to Christ and get on the, the joy bus where there's never a problem. You got some problems when you come to Jesus you didn't have when you were lost. We've got to be prepared. The, the apostle is telling us to experience suffering for his sake. Right now as we speak, there are people all over the world who are in jail for their faith, who are going to be martyred for their faith, who have lost their jobs and their families for their faith, who are living in the streets because of their faith, who have been literally, physically beaten and abused because of their faith. They're not walking away saying, well, you know, nobody told me about this. I'm going to go back to Islam or Buddhism or whatever it was I was doing before. We got to tell people the truth. It, it's all over the Word of God. Now, it's not that I want it, but when it comes, I shouldn't be surprised. Didn't Peter say that? Be not amazed at the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you've been called to experience the sufferings of Christ. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will most assuredly persecute you. It's a fact. All right? Blessed are those, Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 10 in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Acts 5, verse 41, look what happened to the disciples. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They had just had their backs whipped bloody. But they were leaving the council. They were leaving this whipping, glorifying God, that they had been counted worthy. 
And they went out and preached the gospel in power, saying we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, 1 Peter 4, 13, we rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, let's, now that we've established that in Christ, there is a type of suffering that we should be willing to embrace and expect as a part of God's plan for us. That's a fact. He's already told us. But now let's define suffering. To suffer means the experience of an individual wherein they are acted upon in a way that produces difficulty and pain. The agent can either be human, disease, germ, accidental, or demonic. Those are things that can cause suffering in the life of a human being. Now, Jesus continuously ministered to the suffering. Often it was demonically caused. Here's an example. When they came to the crowd, a, a man, now they were just came off the Mount of Transfiguration. They've just been on the glory, in the glory on the mountaintop. They come down from the mountaintop and a demonic attack faces them. A man came up to him and kneeling down before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and he suffers terribly. Now look what the lunacy caused him to do. He falls into the fire and often into the water. Can you imagine having a child that went running into fire, went running into water? You were always having to watch them lest they burn themselves alive or drown themselves. There was something wrong here, very wrong. And this man says, I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly, healed instantly. When a demon spirit was confronted by Jesus Christ. Now let's look at this a little more closely. The man, the father said he's a lunatic. Now what does that mean when it says he's a lunatic? Well, the Greek word means the moon. You get lunacy from lunar. And it's, it's from a Greek source meaning the moon. It means to be moonstruck or to be lunatic or lunar influence. That's what they believed in that day. That's why they were called lunatics. Not that it was true, the moon wasn't doing it, but that's what they believed. Now in Greek usage, it's equivalent to being epileptic, what this boy had. Afflicted with epilepsy, the symptoms of which were supposed to have become more aggravated during lunar periods or lunar cycles. This disease in the New Testament, that is epilepsy, and elsewhere is ascribed to the influence of unclean spirits or demons. That's the source that the Bible takes it to. Therefore, daimonizomai is, is a, the Greek word that is to be possessed by a demon. You know, we hear the word Damien. They, Hollywood comes out with these movies, Damien, demon. But the, the Greek word to be possessed is daimonizomai. Be possessed by a demon is considered to be an equivalent term to this lunatic this lunacy that was on this boy. The English definition makes this strictly a medical use. The Greek word attributes the condition to the influence of the moon. This term was used in Jesus' day with the idea of demonization. Jesus affirmed that in this particular instance, the source of the condition was demonic. Now let me ask you, have demons gone somewhere and they're not around anymore? <laughs> now you go, well, Pastor, you're weirding me out here because you're talking about demons. Well, I got to tell you, uh, they haven't gone anywhere since the days of Jesus. They're still around. So why in the world would God lift his power off the church after John the Apostle died, the last of the twelve, and cease doing miracles and healings and deliverances and leave the church at the hands of attacking demon spirits? Because the demons haven't gone anywhere. Now I'm going to tell you, church, 
You must exercise discernment to know whether or not you're dealing with a demon or something that is physiological. I've been in this thing a long time. I've seen demon spirits operate, and I have cast demon spirits out of people. But I've also seen things attributed to demons that turned out to be very much physiological. That is, they had a physical root, and they were not demonic in their source. It takes discernment. Last thing we want to do is go off on a terror, calling everything that moves that looks bad a demon, because it may not be. We must operate in the gift of the discerning of spirits and learn to recognize a demon or a physical problem, the difference between them. But this boy had a demon, and Jesus knew it. He suffered terribly. The word for suffer here is to be affected by something from without, to be acted upon, to undergo an experience. You are being acted upon by something outside yourself. This boy was being acted upon from without. He did not have a physiological problem on the inside. Something was attacking him from without. And in this case, he was being acted upon by a demonic spirit who does nothing but kill, steal, and destroy. Now, this helps us understand what is meant by the word suffer in the negative sense of the word. The first passages we were looking at had to do with suffering for your testimony of Christ. This is a different kind of suffering where the person is not suffering for their testimony, but they are under attack from without for another reason. This isn't over their faith. This is something has attacked them to destroy them. There is a difference in those two kinds of suffering. Now, there are primarily two other New Testament terms that are closely related to the idea of suffering. Thlipsis is the Greek word, and it means to crush, press, compress, squeeze, which is from a word meaning to break. Also, tribulation, trouble, affliction. In a figurative manner, it means pressure from evils, from affliction, or distress. And then another word, diagmos, means to follow, to persecute, to pursue, or to press toward. Pursuit, particularly of enemies. Persecution, hostile persecution. If we were right now, you know, here we are having a service in the name of the Lord. We're meeting in the name of Jesus and learning from his word. Let's just say that somebody walked in right now and, uh, from the state and told us to shut church down, that we could no longer do it, that now the state was taking over, which I used to think was real far-fetched. But if God doesn't move in revival, if God doesn't help us, we could go there in this country. Oh, yeah, church, we sure could. Maybe then some Christians would wake up. That might wake up a sleeping church. But if that were to happen, that's this kind of suffering, to follow when you are followed, persecuted, pursued, or pressed. But now here, let's look at sickness and suffering a little bit further. There are biblical instances where suffering is connected to a physical condition. The boy with epileptic seizures in Matthew 17, the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5. In her case, the suffering is amplified due to her experience with doctors and with the financial costs associated with those treatments. She lost all of her money. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. If you've ever gone to one specialist after another after another and nobody could fix you, and you watch, you watch your money go away and your insurance won't cover it anymore if you had insurance in the first place, and all the doctors have tried to help you and now there is no help and you don't know what to do because you've still got the affliction and it's ruining your life and robbing you of your joy. That's what this woman had. She was sick. It says, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians, had spent all that she had. It was no better, but got even worse. Now, in each of these cases, Jesus' response to this kind of suffering was what? Healing. This woman, we talked about her last time. This woman who was losing everything, her hope was waning. There was 
Very little left for her in this life. She heard about Jesus. Sometimes all you got to do is hear about Jesus. Just the mention of his name ignites faith in your heart. I believe in the power of the name of Jesus. I believe that the name of Jesus is unlike any name on earth. There is not another name that can ignite the fire of faith in you. Just hearing about Jesus. And she just heard through the grapevine that some man named Jesus was going around healing people, walking on water, casting out devils. And she said, if I can just get to him, if I can just get close enough to grab hold of his garment, I don't even have to touch him, just something connected to him. I will be healed. How'd she know that? Faith. Faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. When you've got faith for something, that means it's on the way. You just can't see it yet. Faith grasps it before it appears in time and space. Faith says hello before it ever arrives. Faith rose up in this woman and said, I'm just going to, I'm going to press through. I'm going to get on hands and knees and I'm going to press through this crowd. And she moved through sweating all the press of people. And she got right up to him where the garment was just kind of dragging along the ground and he was moving away from her. And she reached out and grabbed that garment, that one piece garment. And when she did, instantly power left him and went into her. And she knew, the Bible says she knew she had been healed. What was going on there? It was a spiritual transfer. The power to heal was a tangible substance. In each of these cases, when somebody was sick, Jesus' heart was to heal them. We've got to get that. Outside of these kinds of exceptions, suffering in the New Testament is linked not with sickness, but rather with difficulty and pain experienced as a result of the gospel. So we're talking about two kinds of suffering. The kind of suffering you experience because of your walk with God, your, your, your outspoken faith, your righteous life, or suffering that comes at you from without to afflict you, destroy you, hurt you, rob from you. There is a common misconception we need to clarify. We correctly understand that suffering for the sake of the gospel should be expected and embraced as it will accomplish God's purpose. It'll grow you up. It'll refine you. But we mistakenly assume that sickness belongs within the category of suffering that should be embraced or expected. Let me ask you a million dollar question. Do you ever see Jesus even one time in the New Testament Gospels, once saying to somebody, I really want you to grow in the faith. Here's some sickness. Now, what did he say about himself? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Look at me. You want to know what God is like, what the creator of the worlds is like. You watch what I say, what I do, the way I deal with people, the way I view life. You listen to me, you learn from me, because as you watch me, you are watching a perfect reflection of the Father. All right, that being so, do you ever see him saying to somebody, you know, you really need to grow some. So here's the flu. Go and throw up a while, burn up with fever for a while, and I'm just going to be praying for you that you grow in your faith while that's going on. Let me tell you, I'd rather somebody slap me in the face than throw up. There is no way God puts that on me. Not just, I'm just saying, follow him. Follow his footsteps. Follow his tracks. Can you show me once? No, you can't. But here's what you can show me. That every time he was confronted with sickness, he healed it. He wanted them well. He wanted them whole. Is that not right? Let's just get our doctrine straight out of the Word of God. We assume that a sickness might, might be the kind of suffering that God uses to accomplish His purpose. Now, I've got to footnote this thought with this one statement. If you pray for healing and you, and you do not experience healing, 
God promises he will make everything work together for your good. And I'm not going to stand up here and say that if you have to struggle through a sickness and for some reason you don't get healed, that God can't work that for your good. He can. But what we've got to come to is this. Does Jesus, did he, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, if he never did make somebody sick, why would we think he would do it now? We mistakenly assume that sickness might be God's will for us. Now this brings up a passage of interest that must be examined. Because here's what some people think, the minute you're teaching on this, well what about Paul? Now you know about his thorn in the flesh, what about Paul? He said that God sent him a thorn in the flesh. What about Paul? All right, what about Paul? Let's look at it. Paul the apostle admitted to having many incredible revelations from God. He told the Corinthian church, quote, so to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of who? To harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, then he admits three times, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Love that verse. I love it. And how many times have you grabbed hold of that verse to carry you through something? God's grace is amazing and it's sufficient to carry us through all things. But is God saying here that he had made Paul sick? And is Paul telling us that God had made him sick? Let's look at it. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now notice the wording carefully. What is he boasting about? Weaknesses. Not sicknesses, weaknesses. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with, now read these things he's gonna list for us. Read them with me. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, I have about five of you reading that with me. Read it out loud. I want you to catch this. It's real important. Because here's what he's telling us. He is listing for us what his thorn was. It was not a sickness. Let me, let me read them again. It was weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. In other words, it's what was coming at him because of his stand for Jesus Christ. It was persecution. It was not a sickness. I mean, the man listed it for us right there. Now, one common interpretation of this passage understands this thorn in the flesh to be a sickness seeing this as an example of God sending sickness in order to shape Paul's character, specifically to keep him humble. But this is not the best possible understanding of Paul's meaning. Paul tells us that the thorn in the flesh is a messenger, angelos, that's the word for angel, or a spiritual messenger, angelos, but it's an angelos, a messenger of Satan. And while this could be sickness, for demons can certainly cause sickness, this understanding is not implied by the text. A text without a context is a pretext. Very important we get in context what he's telling us. The specific assignment of this demonic presence was to harass Paul. The word for harass is a Greek word meaning a blow or to strike with the fist, or to buffet. It's not sickness. It's to be hit, literally, physically struck. The term is used almost exclusively to refer to physical trauma inflicted by blows to strike, buffeted, be beaten. Now the question is, were the blows literal? Were the punches literal? 
What was the nature of the harassment? Was this sickness? If so, then this example of suffering as sickness stands as an exception to the way this concept is understood in the rest of the New Testament, including Paul's own writings and his own ministry of healing, sickness found in Acts. Was it something else? The text provides a clue. Here's, let's look at it again. He says, for the sake of Christ then, I'm content with now everybody read them with me. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. That's what he was asking God to help him with. Let me just rephrase it. Lord, I'm so tired of being beat up. Can you blame him? I mean, this was not a masochist. He didn't want to be beat up. I lost the back of this. Just now realize that. But we're good. Now, do you see? He's saying, Lord, I'm so tired of being persecuted, struck, whipped. We, we know that he took the lashing that Jesus took once. He took it five times. Think about that. That's 200 minus five, 195 whips had gone across his back, cat and nine tails had ripped into his flesh 195 times in, in five different instances. And he's basically saying, Lord, I know I'm getting a lot of revelation and, and I guess I could get conceited. God knew him inside out. I'm getting such revelations that I could start thinking I'm really something. I could get a strut but these beatings, this persecution ain't going to let me do it. It's humbling me. It's bringing me to my knees. So he's not talking about being sick. He's not saying God gave him sickness. We've got to get away. What heavenly father would put a sickness on one of his children? If you think your God would do that, I, I want to encourage you tonight to revisit your concept of God? The answer is in verse 10, weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. It appears that Paul had some physical struggles as a direct result of the hardship he had faced because of the gospel. Note that he doesn't pray that God will heal his body. He prays that the messenger would be taken away. Paul prays that the beatings will stop. God's answer is that his grace is sufficient, so Paul embraces what he's experiencing, and he embraces contentment. I mean, what are you going to do? You can't get away from it. If you're going to live for Christ, and you're going to be the head apostle, and you're going to go into places where they're going to hate your guts for it, and, and they're violent people, and there's no way out, really, then you embrace it, and you say, well, all right, I trust you, Lord. It's not that you want somebody to hit you. And by the way, when I deal with that this, this weekend... The myths that are hindering Christians, I'm going to deal right off the bat with turn the other cheek, the myth of Christian pacifism. Because he did not call us and say, well, hit me again. That's not what Paul was saying. We don't turn the other cheek and say, do it again. Oh, do it again. Oh, would you hit me again? That's not my Jesus. So don't miss this weekend and these myths because I'm going to pop some bubbles. Okay? All right. So he embraces contentment. This, this passage is of great significance. But in no way can we legitimately use it to build a case that God makes us sick in order to accomplish his purposes. Oh, no. He doesn't need sickness to accomplish his purposes. How are you and I changed? By the power of his word. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our minds. How do we grow up? By prayer and walking in obedience and fellowship. He doesn't need sickness to grow us up. Are we establishing this okay tonight? Acts 5.41, I'll give you a whole bunch of verses here that you can read on your own because we're all about the Bible. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The ultimate revelation of God is Jesus. Jesus never made anybody sick. He only heals sickness. He is our model. 
Jesus said to him, to Philip, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He is the image. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So the ultimate question is, does God cause sickness or does God heal sickness? You've got to think these things through. You really do. Because how are we, and we have more, more doors are opening up for us to get out there and pray for people. I'm going to be sharing something else very exciting in the next couple of weeks. But see, all of you, as many of you as want to, we're, we're going to funnel you into ministry and praying for people and praying for the sick and visiting people that are sick. So we can't walk in there going, well, maybe God made them this way. We can't go walking in there and say, well, brother, maybe, maybe God put this on you. Don't go saying that in the name of this church. <laughs> I mean, now, I will not hesitate to tell somebody who has not experienced a healing for whatever reason, well then, his grace is with you. His love is upon you. And he does not condemn you that you have not experienced a miraculous healing, but I'll never tell them, God put this on you. Because then you're looking at a father... Who'd want that kind of a father? Son, come here. I told you not to go across that street. Have the flu for three days. <laughs> or even worse, try a little cancer. Can you imagine? But, but see, this is the way some people think. We've got to clear our heads with this. We've got to get our heads clear. We've got to get our, our theology straight on this. When we face sickness, we need to filter our understanding of this sickness through the John 10, 10 filter. Is this sickness abundant life or is it the work of the thief? The thief comes not but for to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's what sickness does. Jesus doesn't do any of those three. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came you may have life and have it abundantly. Well, if I see something Stealing, killing, and destroying, I know the source. If I see something giving a person abundant life, I know the source. Our conclusion is that sickness is a byproduct of the brokenness of our world. And one of the works of the enemy. And that God's will is always new creation, healing. New creation has already been fully provided by, uh, for us through the finished work of Christ. New creation will be fully manifest when Jesus returns and there is a new heaven and earth. New creation is at work now in and through us in advance of that day by faith through the power of the Spirit who has been given as a down payment for the inheritance that is yet to come. Now let's look at evil understanding just a little bit more. The power of choice. God has made a world where love is possible. His love. But you know what? God's love must be chosen. Choice requires freedom to select between real options. God has made a world where evil is possible, and guess what? You can choose it. I quoted C.S. Lewis last week, something I read just recently. Said, he said, hell is the greatest evidence of the freedom of man. Because nobody is going to be sent to hell by God. You're going to be sent there it, by your own decisions to, to reject the finished work of Christ. God has made a world where evil is possible. A world where evil was not possible would not be a, would, or rather would be a world without love. In the end, our choices will be eternalized. There are some choices that are indeed eternal. Whether or not you're going to accept Christ, that's an eternalized choice. C.S. Lewis again wrote, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done.
Boy, I tell you, I would never want to hear that. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek will find. For those who knock, it is open. There are two basic models within which to understand evil. First, the blueprint model. In this model of understanding evil, God exercises his sovereign will to determine all things. Within this conceptual framework, sickness is embraced as the will of God because he's in charge of everything, so he must be in charge of this sickness. Within this framework, healing will be seen as an occasional expression of God's will with little expectation of it ever being healed. Within this framework, Jesus' death will be seen almost exclusively in terms of a vicarious and substitutionary atoning sacrifice for sin and guilt, period. That's the blueprint model. There's good people that go with that model. Here's the warfare model. In this model, God exercises his sovereign will in giving freedom to creatures. Within this conceptual framework, sickness will be viewed as a result of the free choice of creatures who have rebelled against God, beginning in Eden through Adam. Within this framework, healing will be seen as a redemptive act of God who sent his son to do what? Destroy the works of the devil. Within this framework, the warfare model, Jesus' death is seen, in addition to the above, as God's ultimate victory over Satan. It is our observation that those who hold the blueprint model are far less likely to seriously and consistently contend for healing how could you if you're sitting there thinking this is God's will for me rather they are likely to embrace sickness as an expression of God's sovereign will in their lives it's also our observation that those who hold the warfare model are far more likely to seriously consistently contend for healing which model have you embraced in your mind blueprint model well sometimes this could be the will of God for me and he, he wants me sick or the warfare model. In the death and resurrection of Christ and the stripes he received across his back, Satan's works were destroyed. So I should contend for the best that God can provide in this life, and that includes healing. As they will automatically view sickness as a, a work of Satan, those in the warfare model, they view sickness as the work of Satan and healing as an expression of Jesus' victory secured on the cross. Well, we covered a lot tonight. Now let me ask you a question as we close. And be honest with yourself. What model predominantly rests in your soul? The blueprint model where, wow, you know, this could be God's will for me sometimes, and he may have, he may have wanted this to come on my life to teach me a lesson, or the warfare model. My, my thinking is clear on this one thing. Jesus never made anybody sick. He's the perfect reflection of the Father. So therefore, the Father certainly makes nobody sick to teach them a lesson. Okay? If we get clear on that, then you can pray the prayer of faith over somebody and say, you know what? This isn't God. God wants you healed, and I'm going to believe God for it. And if, and if it doesn't happen, then we're going to go from there and there's other things we can minister. But we're going to believe God. So let's stand together, can we? Boy, this is good stuff. I like this. Amen. Now, I want us to pray. And if the blueprint model resides in your soul, and you're struggling between that model and the warfare model, I want to ask you tonight to give your 
prevarications, your, your struggle, your battle to God. And say, Lord, settle this in my heart. If your concept has been that God would actually reach out his hand and strike you with sickness, please, if you leave with anything tonight, know that that isn't true. Father, we thank you that when we look at Jesus, we look at you. And Jesus went about everywhere doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He was a healer. He was not a sickness causer. And Lord, we just thank you for the difference between suffering for our faith and suffering through a sickness that God would want to heal. Lord, establish us in these truths so that we can take a word of liberty and healing to others who are right now oppressed by that thief, oppressed by the murderer, the killer, the thief, and the liar. Put on this church, Lord, a healing anointing. that we can take a word of freedom. Now I want you to lift your hands to him, would you, church? Just say, Lord, I received this word tonight. Lord, those who have been healed can heal. And those that have been freed can set free. Lord, settle these truths in our heart so that we will be a church of deliverance and healing and good news and carry that into the world. Lord, thank you that there are prayer warriors being raised up here, that faith is being built and misconceptions are being cleared up. You are great.